Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Now that takes us to step five, which is mourn. And I think it's important here that as we look at this, that we recognize that it doesn't go straight from suffering story to gospel story. As if God just took us from false information to true information and the right information was going to make it all better. Because again, that reduces grief to an intellectual exercise. And as we ask the question of, What does it look like to walk through the gospel in slow motion as we face our suffering? Once we understand its impact on our life, and we see the suffering story by which we have made sense of it, God calls us to mourn. He goes so far as to say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because what has happened is wrong and sad, and it deserves grief. And we may say, do you just want me to cry? Is that what we do here? Is this, is this when I you know, invest in Kleenex? Uh, let, me, let me offer a definition of suffering. Suffering is the celebration of a good gift from God through tears. If something was not good, it would not create grief. And as we grieve and mourn, we celebrate the goodness of it through tears. And it's also that residual aching as we long for its return when everything is made right in the new creation. And there's a time period in that process of not overcoming our grief, but taking the journey of grief, that it is right just to let our emotions agree with God about the wrongness and tragedy of what happens. Because when we mourn, we are not raising our fist at God as if somehow He doesn't get it. Isaiah 53 says we have a Messiah who was acquainted with sorrow and knew grief well. And it's in light of that that Paul Tripp begins to help us see this mourning aspect. He says, death is the enemy of everything good and beautiful about life. Death should make you both morally sad and righteously angry. It is biblical to treat death as the sad, unnatural thing that it is. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, it refers to death as the last enemy that will be conquered. It is an enemy when we feel this sense of repugnance towards it. We are agreeing with God's disposition towards death. In times of death, Christians should be sadder than anyone else. We know how sin brought death into the world. We mourn not only for the loved one that we have lost, but also for the fact that death continues to destroy. God doesn't call you to stifle your grief when you are crushed. 
He doesn't expect you to hide behind religious cliches and theological platitudes. God approves your tears. And it's at a point like this that oftentimes what we think of as being strong is just wrong. Being strong does not mean being stoic. It means expressing our grief. And here we'll talk a little bit about time and grief. Because when we say mourning, one of the questions that gets asked is, is how long? How long should I expect to be sad? And there is no formula for that. There is no definition. There is no set of stages. But uh, from H. Norman Wright's work on grief, uh, I will play off of his timeline a little bit here. Usually that first three months uh, is a time when the numbness is wearing off. When just the shock of what is going on fades away and the pain and the reality of it begins to set in. Then at some point, six to nine months is kind of that average time frame, the immune system has just had all it can take. And that's when it begins to go down. And like we talked about earlier, we... We just begin to get sick and we feel tired and we just wonder how long this is going to last and go on. And the time frame of that can vary widely based upon your health when you went into the grieving process, the level and duration of the stress that you're under while you're grieving. Again, these are very broad and general timelines. At about that one year mark, grief often returns at its initial intensity. As there are just so many things that remind us of what it was like when we experienced that loss. That in a natural death, it's usually about that second year. I'm sorry, about 18 months. We experience these, uh, what he calls grief bumps. Uh, that sounds a little bit mild. Uh, but it, it's just these intense moments when grief comes back. Sometimes we can expect it, sometimes we don't. And then usually at the end of that second year for a natural grief, uh, then things begin to establish that new normal, if it's okay to call it that again. But for a traumatic or atypical death, and this is where those 15 questions that we ask in chapter 3 helps us to get a sense of what's going on there. That evaluation that we did in chapter 2, especially with some of those post-traumatic criteria that we looked at to see if we're experiencing that. But an atypical death can take three or more years before we begin to feel like things are normal and natural again. And that, again, don't feel wedded to that. Don't feel like if you're moving faster than that, then oh no, I've got to slow down and be sad longer. If it's taking you longer to go through that, don't feel like that you're doing something wrong, but it may be an area where you want to reach out for more help. But in the context of mourning, I love this quote here from Tim Keller. Again, he's referring to that moment there where Jesus wept. And he's prefacing it here with the fact that Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He walked into that funeral knowing that it was about to be over. And Tim Keller asked us the question. He says, if you knew you were about to turn everything around, would you be drawn down into grief 
entering into the trauma and pain of their hearts? And we would say, no, I wouldn't. I would say, cheer up, I'm here, I'm about to make it all better. And Keller asked, why would Jesus do that? Because He's perfect. His love is perfect. He will not close His heart for even ten minutes. And we should marvel and be comforted. We should be challenged in the way that we comfort one another. That He would enter into our pain that perfectly. Jesus was perfect because He cried. Not because He was strong enough to resist from crying. And here again we see that oftentimes in the midst of our mourning, we feel like we are shaking our fist at God when He weeps with us. Joyce Rump makes that point. She says, we all need to learn to say goodbye. Acknowledge the pain that is there for us so we can eventually move on to another hello. When we learn to say goodbye, we truly learn how to say to ourselves and to others, Go. God be with you. I entrust you to God. The God of strength, courage, comfort, hope, and love is with you. The God who promises to wipe away all tears um, will hold you close and fill your emptiness. Let go and be free to move on. Do not keep yourself from another step in your homeward journey. May the blessing of our God be with you. And part of mourning is learning to say goodbye. And it can often be during this time of saying goodbye that we take that unstoried part of our list and we begin to assimilate it into our story. And one helpful way that's frequently recommended for that uh, is to write a letter. Uh, and, and I'll read a sample letter here uh, that it's in your notebook and some advice on how to write uh, a letter that captures your experience well is there. But just for you to hear, putting mourning into words and, and what this looks like. Dear Name, this is a strange letter. I never planned to write to you after your death. I didn't intend for you to go. There are so many things I never planned to do that I'm learning to do now. I'm sure you are very proud. But your leaving has left a painful hole in my life. I don't like the empty grieving feeling I have inside. I miss you. I miss it all. Your voice, your presence, your laughter, the way you raised your eyebrows, your stubbornness. You know what else I miss? You're dreaming out loud. I miss our dreams and the future we won't have together. I feel cheated. This was not the time for you to die. Or it wasn't the time I thought you should. I'm having a hard time learning to look at the calendar again. It's hard to look forward and not just count how many days or months have passed since you died. I've cried buckets of tears over you. I've cried for me and raged at you and God and me and everyone else who still has someone. I've wanted you to come to me and I've wished I could come to you. I don't like being alone. Oh, there are others around, but they aren't you. I'm still accepting that enjoying others is not replacing you. 
I almost feel guilty for the moments I don't actively miss you. And I know that's not what you would want. It's been months. I've stabilized now. I'm learning to rest in the hope that someday we will see each other again. And I'm taking a big step now by taking baby steps to embrace the next chapter of my life. I feel strange saying this to you, but you went away. You were taken from me. But I've been holding on to you. Now I'm letting you go to live again. I have our history together, memories together, and a rich life because of you. You bless me well. So well, in fact, it's hard to enjoy those blessings without you. Thank you. I'm letting you go, but I will never leave you. You are part of me. I will have to let you go many more times. I know that. I miss you. I love you. You are never forgotten. Love me. And I think in that, we, we hear somebody who's beginning to put together their story. Who's beginning to embrace the fact that, that they are gone and this is becoming a part of their life that they can understand. And, and those words don't just feel like facts on a page. It begins to feel like part of their life. They don't quite know how to make sense of it yet. They're not quite at that point of gospel story. But it's becoming part of them. And I think Nancy Guthrie prepares us to take that next bridge into, into the next step. She says, and so it is in our sadness that we discover new aspects of God's character and reach a new understanding of Him that we could not have known without loss. He is acquainted with grief. He understands. He is not trying to rush us through our sadness. He is sad with us. And the piece of advice I would give at this step five of mourning the loss is don't rush. Because if you try to rush yourself through grief, you will learn lots of things about God that will plague you for the rest of your life. You will come to learn that that is what God expects of you. That He is this distant deity who is just concerned about what you do for Him and what He can get out of you. And that He is not a loving Father who wants to comfort you in the midst of what you are going through. And that part of your suffering story that says He does not care, He is not absent, that there is no meaning, those kinds of things will be reinforced and magnified by what you learned in the process. One of my favorite pictures of this step is from the Chronicles of Narnia, where C.S. Lewis tells the story of Diggory, a young boy, uh, who has magically escaped into the land of Narnia to find a magic apple that will heal his mother, and in the process he brought an evil witch in. But it's the first time he has made it up to Aslan himself. And he is scared to death and he's looking down and he's just wondering if this fierce, huge lion that represents Christ, he's wondering if it's just going to eat him. And he says, but, but, but please, won't you, can't you give me something to cure my mother? And Lewis says at that point, Diggory has the courage to look up into the eyes of Aslan. And in his face, 
he sees such big, rich, deep tears that he understands that Aslan must truly be sadder about the loss of his mother than even he was or could be. And Aslan speaks to him and he says, My son, my son, I know grief is great. Let us be good to one another. And as we mourn, we look up into the eyes of our Father, into Christ, who is well acquainted with grief, and we see one who keeps our tears in a bottle and is not untouched by suffering and sorrow himself. And he grieves with us. And so we pause here before we go further uh, into the steps 6, 7, 8, and 9 to remind us that God does not just give us answers. He gives us Himself. Uh, so let's pause here and take a five-minute break, and we'll come back for the last segment of the seminar.